Welcome to Awesome Autism Parents Podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Lindsay. We're both board-certified behavior analysts. This is a podcast for parents to listen to and be left feeling connected, free, and empowered as a parent with a child on the spectrum. Hi, everyone. We're so excited for today's episode. We have someone special joining us. Her name is Allie Goodman. Allie is a mother of a child with autism. She's an actor, and she even has her own personal podcast that talks about her day-to-day life while raising a child on the spectrum. Her podcast is amazing. If you want to check it out, it's called Acting Up with Allie Goodman. I really can't speak any more highly of her podcast and Allie herself. She is the definition of an awesome autism parent. So we're so excited to have her. Today she will be sharing about the new school year, the transition phases, and her path along the way with balancing her son's therapy and school. Hi, Allie. Welcome to Awesome Autism Parents Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. All right. So you have your own podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Uh, So I originally started it because when I was trying to figure out how to navigate the world of having a child with special needs, as well as trying to continue doing my creative career, I felt really isolated and alone. When we first got the diagnosis, there was really no one to talk to. There wasn't very many Facebook groups. There really wasn't a lot of places to find parents like me who were raising their kids, but still trying to you know, keep their own stuff going and be on in that world. And so I really thought about how it felt for me and thought, I want to do for the people who are coming into this now what I didn't have. I want to be that person who can walk hand in hand with mom with a brand new diagnosis or someone who just feels alone and isolated and needs someone that gets it. I credibly tell it all. I talk about everything across the board, the good, the bad, the ugly, and explain what it is like from my point of view and my perspective. Also keeping in mind that I'm speaking, advocating and speaking for him and therefore can't always speak for himself. If it ever comes to a point where he says, hey mom, (laughs) you're not getting it right and you're saying it or do things differently. But right now I'm doing the best that I can do in the situation. Right. I think that's so awesome that you have your own podcast and you're sharing with all the parents out there. What kind of uh, programs is your son in right now? School therapies and like how many hours per week? He is six and he's in OT once a week, which is for an hour. He's in speech therapy two hours a week. This is all outside of school. School is different and I'll get to that in a second. And then he's also in PT one hour a week. And then ABA, maybe 10 hours a week. We want more hours. But with all the other therapies, it's been hard to get him in for more hours. I'm assuming that will happen better as you know winter breaks come and when summer comes, we'll have more time to be able to get him into more hours before he was in close to 30 hours of ABA, which was oh, amazing wow. for him. He's in school full time now, whereas I was able to pull him out kindergarten a lot, which is why I did that. But he's in full day. And so I don't have that luxury like I did last year. It's tough to get those 30 hours in. And I think a lot of families face a lot of parents are contemplating making the decision when to start school or what school program is the best for their kid therapy full time. Should they go to school? If you look back, when do you feel like your son was ready to start school? That's a great question. So we 
actually started preschool right out of EI, and this was prior to his diagnosis. Um, as a matter of fact, our story is interesting because everybody who saw him in EI, he had a developmental therapist, he had a, an OT occupational therapist, and he had a speech therapist. All of them said, oh, no, 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 we don't see autism. It, not at all. And I was like, mm, okay, I, all right, if you say so. And so we went an entire year longer than we should have. And it wasn't until I actually have a friend who is an ABA therapist who lives in New York. I live in Chicago. She saw a video of Jackson when he was just turned three. She said, you know, you've taken him in for a medical exam for this. And I was like, no, I haven't. And she said, you really should. And can often take many months to get into a doctor. By the time we did get into a doctor, it was so clear to me. And the doctor actually asked me, analysis. And I was like, well, I'll give you all the money I have if you tell me that he's not on the spectrum, kind of jokingly. And he's like, no, he is definitely on the spectrum. And I just thought, like, look at all these people or said no, or said, no, don't worry about it. You know, they said sensory processing, they said speech issues, developmental delays, but nobody ever. And so I thought that was so frustrating for me. To go back to your school question, he had started in preschool, having done EI, he got into this I don't know if you call it like a therapeutic preschool. It's like blended classrooms and such. Gone through EI, he got into that preschool free. So we took them up on that offer. And Jackson's always been really great about going to class and leave us without any issues. So I never worried. He was never a kid that needed us. It was always okay with being like, peace out. I always knew that he'd be okay in school based on his issues Are for Jackson are more focus and social rather than behavioral issues where he wasn't going to be able to handle the transitions and the changes and stuff like that that happens with school. Definitely things have to be done at a slower pace. So now he's in what they call the ILP program, which is what his school is calling it. It's the individualized learning program. So it's a self-contained classroom, this classroom, but then he pushes into general education classes for whatever works for him, for morning meeting, for socialization. Uh, But I think he's been thriving there and he enjoys going to school. So for me, I really took my cues from Jackson. I mean, if I had felt like he wasn't ready or this wasn't the right place for him, I 100% wouldn't have done it. Is he at the same school as he was last year? Actually has the same teacher from last year. So his transition was the general education first grade teacher, but his special education teacher is the same. So for him, it was like this very easy. I'm not sure how next year's going to go. It might be a little more difficult. I want to know, what did you deal with during the transition and preparing back to this new school year? I'll talk a little bit about the transportation situation that we had, because that was probably the biggest problem that we had and our biggest station that went down. We've been having problems with the bus system in our district for a long time. Even when he was back in preschool, he had some incidences where they put him on small group transportation and then they forgot him. (laughs) And he ended up coming on a different bus driver. Yeah, she didn't even realize he wasn't on the bus. And so she comes to our house to drop him off and he's not there. (laughs) So we knew that he was there. So we were a little surprised that she showed up, but didn't even realize it when she only had six kids on the bus to begin with. Seemed a little bizarre. So that was interesting. Then we had an incident the following year that was in the summertime. And then during the school year, he had taken off his seatbelt early. There were supposed to be aides sitting next. He took off his seatbelt and they turned the corner and he smashed his face. So that was no fun. So I was driving him every day. And then I, I know. And then I am pregnant. 
it was going to get to be too difficult for me to drive him every single day. So we opted to do the general bus, but I said I would put him on the bus without an aid. He needs a one-to-one aid on that bus. And that was a fight in our IEP to get it. We did finally get it. And it worked out okay in the wintertime. You know, it was one thing when I had a baby that I could carry. It's another thing when I have a toddler. And I thought this is not going to work during the winter and it's just going to be too stressful. So uh, I brought it to the school and they said, well, we can do small group transportation. I was like, okay, let's try it. Instead of being the small bus that they had had, instead they started doing these, uh, I want to say like minivans or cars and that they would subcontract out. Okay, fine. That's perfect. So the first two days they didn't pick him up. (laughs) Not a shocker, right? Getting their stuff together. Fine. The third day, they finally pick him up, but it seems as though the driver didn't booster seat, didn't realize that he was a six-year-old that couldn't just ride in the back seat of the car. So, and then they dropped him at the wrong school, which I did not find out about until after he was back at his school safely. But this was at this other school going to the playground. And when the bell rang, all the kids went inside, except my kid who doesn't go to that school and is mostly nonverbal. <laughs> and so think of the mom there with her three-year-old, her older sibling had gone into the school. They were playing on the playground and she was probably a little old to be playing on the playground. And she asked him his name and he really couldn't tell her. She finally got out of him that he was six. She called the principal. The principal came out and they deduced after a lot of time who he was and why he was there and what had happened and this big mishap. So there was a lot of issues. So now the same company comes and picks him up, but one of the paras from his first grade class rides in the car with that person and then they drive to the school. That was my compromise for not suing the district (laughs) because they lost my kid. How can they let that (laughs) happen? You brought up that this isn't your first incident of uh, transportation. No. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Has anything else like that happened since this school year? Is it smooth? It's been smooth. I think it's because everyone is trying very hard to fix what they messed up. I will say that I could to have him move to a different school or put in a private school or done. I mean, I probably could have gone in, fought that and won it. And maybe there are schools out there that would have been better, you know, that would be amazing for him. But I'll be honest with you. I like his teacher a lot. This was not her fault. And I actually think that the program and the teachers who run the program are so good. And I think he's getting what he needs from the school and the program. So I didn't want to go down that route. For that is why I stayed and didn't fight it and didn't go into a litigation situation. I said, instead of that, I have somebody in the car until I take it out of the IEP. And it's actually in his IEP now. We had a special IEP meeting for that reason. It's unfortunate that something like that has to happen in order to take those appropriate measures to make sure it doesn't happen again. Besides the transportation and all that, is there something that you've been experiencing since the new school year started that you did not anticipate? When we went to that IEP meeting, one of the things that we had learning about from the teacher, and she's just been taking data about it, hitting every once in a while kids in, in his class or in the other class, and she's just been taking data about it and realized that she thought it actually was due to the fast regular gym class. He's also in an adoptee class, but in PE class, the gym is big and he's not an avoider for the most part. He's mostly a seeker, 
but for some reason that echoey sound might be getting them. The fact that actually combine the classes with two other classes. So there's like 60 plus kids in the class. So she thought we can pull him out of regular PE. He'll have adapted PE twice a week. And he's not a kid that's desperate needing exercise. He's a bouncer. <laughs> he jumps and does plenty of exercise himself. So I wasn't concerned about that piece. And she said, you see if that makes a difference. And so we've been in trial on that. And I think for the most part, it's gotten better. Is that what you didn't anticipate, finding out that he's hitting peers or? Well, I knew he had been hitting, but I didn't know that the gym class be a trigger. Right. So when okay, she got up, got that was new information and that was cool. She's very communicative. We haven't clearly cares about him. We're so lucky to have her. Do you have any advice on how to prepare the transition back into the new school year? Yeah. You know, Jackson's interesting because he is atypical. He's pretty good at generalizing and he's pretty good at transitions if you give him notice. Lately, he'll wake up and the first words out of his mouth, he's been asking what day is going to look like. So what do we do first? And he'll say, we're going to go to school. And I'm like, yes. Like really anticipating what's going to happen next. He wants to hear what the whole day is going to be. So for me, lay it out for him and I say, okay, first we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this. He then feels comfortable. So I think if you've got a kid who has some, what I would consider, you know, needing that routine, because coming off of the summer is going to be very different for him next year, for example, or even coming off a winter break, I'm going to prepare him. So tomorrow we're going to start school again. So tomorrow is Monday and we're going to go back to school. And I'm sure he'll say, and then the same thing goes with him in the car. If he knows the routine, of what we normally do. I go up and we go to either Skokie for therapy or we go to Vernon Hills for the other therapy. If I have to make a stop before then, I have to tell him. They just pull into the gas station, he'll start to freak out. So okay. I have to be like, it's okay, buddy. Mommy has to stop for gas. I can't tell you how many times I've forgotten to do that. And I start getting a really upset Jackson in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, really prepare him. And it doesn't take a lot. I just have to remember to do it. So it's right. on me. Yeah. And I think that for other people, you know, I know visuals work really well with them and things, other people, they have to start preparing with a social story or they have to start talking about things prior to we've tried social stories with Jackson. They don't really seem to make a difference yet that I've noticed. Although as he's getting older and understanding stories better, they might. It depends on your kid, I would say. So if you have a kid that really needs visuals, I highly recommend make a schedule of what it's going to look like. And if you got to talk to the teacher in advance, do that. Find out like what their day is going to be, what comes next. And if you can't get that information early so that you can help your kid make that transition easier. Pictures are great. That would be my suggestion. That's great. I'm a huge fan of visual schedules. I really think it works really well for a lot of the kids I see. All right. I'm now going to let Sarah jump in and talk a little bit more about therapies and other new programs with Allie? Yeah, definitely. So Allie, I know you mentioned, you know, that Jackson's an ABA and OT and speech and PT. Um, when did Jackson start in these different yeah, therapies? Yeah, so he was diagnosed June of 2016. And so we started ABA in October. At his ABA clinic at the time, they also offered OT and speech. And so he was getting two hours of each a week. And along with his ABA hours. We were paying out of pocket for a while because the insurance didn't go through. So that was no fun. And for that amount of time, that just kind of wiped us out. So we did the least amount of hours that were still the best amount of hours for him to get him started. And then once they got a new policy, he was there about 30 hours 
and about two hours a week of OT and two hours a week of speech. Great. And did you have any doubts um, when starting, you know, the various different therapies that he's currently in right now? (laughs) It's funny because as far as the ABA goes, I did, you know, a very hmm, slight amount of research on it, but because it was recommended by his developmental pediatrician, because I had a friend who was an ABA therapist, I didn't have any negative information that other people have talked about to this day. Like, and again, Facebook groups knew that nobody with this mm-hmm. stuff then. And so I think I dodged learning about the negative thoughts about it. And we sort of went full force in because our doctor had recommended it. So we were like, great, let's do this. And I wanted in clinic because I thought one of his biggest struggles is social. So I wanted to make sure that he was seeing other kids. Like that was important to me. And I didn't think that his three hours of preschool were enough. We lucked out with the first place that we saw. And it wasn't until we were totally invested, 100% loving ABA, it was doing such wonders for our kid that we started hearing all this negative talk about it. And it was just so interesting because our experience of it was so different. So I didn't have any doubt. He had been using PECs at school, and then he stopped needing any of that because he actually sang, I want, I need, you know, I want orange or, you know, whatever it was. He was actually able to use language while we were not against him using an assistant, you know, any sort of an assisted device. He didn't need it, learning how to advocate for himself verbally, which we didn't ever really know if that would happen. That was a huge change for us, get our attention and want something, you know, as opposed to like us trying to talk him into going to pick up the picture and I and the want and the whatever the picture of what he wanted together, which I think was just hard for him because it took too long. He wanted it to happen fast. Definitely. Well, that's amazing. It's like he's made progress. Um, did you have any doubts or hesitations when starting OTPT or speech? A little bit for PT, only because I was like, really? He needs PT. And when we went in for his eval, kind of went in there a little bit with my eyes rolled. Like, I mean, I know the kid needs some help, but I mean, he walks, you know, he moves, he runs, he jumps. I don't understand what we're doing here. And it wasn't until his eval that they sat me down and they're like, listen, but he is not using his body properly and it's going to catch up to him. And certain things he can't do. He can't stand on one foot. He can't do things that he's hidden from you. He won't climb. And when he walks downstairs, he won't alternate his feet. All of that is inefficient of his body and he's not using his core properly and he's not going to use his body properly and it's going to catch up to him very soon. And I was like, oh, okay. So started doing PT in combination with, you know, everything else. It all seemed to work fluidly together. And now you can really see the difference in how he moves his body and how he's not afraid in the same way. He was clumsy and he would fall, but I didn't understand that because I was a mom, not a professional therapist. And so I didn't know, you know, so, which is, I think the problem is that you don't know what he's missing or what he needs. And we rely on professionals to tell us, and not everybody's going to tell you. And we went back to his preschool the following year, the principal of that school, I actually stopped and I said, he now has a diagnosis of autism. And her words to me were, yeah, we figured that, but we couldn't say anything. And I said, you figured that. Nobody had figured that. Nobody else said that to me. Why didn't somebody say that to me? And I went and dug around and it turns out that had she said something to me, they would have had to pay for it or the testing or whatever they would have had to do. So they keep it to themselves, which is just not serving our kids at all. And it's 
I feel like he should have been getting therapies a year old. You know, so since catching it, it's like this trust. We rely on our therapists. We rely on the professionals to tell us what they see and to know that we're giving them the best that we can give them without knowing what we don't know. Because we didn't go to school for this. We're not doctors. We're not therapists. We didn't train for this. We're just parents that get thrown into special needs world. And then we have to figure it out while we're there. Hence, one of the reasons why I started my podcast here, let me help you ask these questions, you know? Definitely. And it sounded like you kept a really open mind, which I think that's really important for other parents to realize as well. Check it out because you don't know. You're never going to know until, you know, you go maybe talk to another professional. If you could highlight some of Jackson's biggest accomplishments, what would they be? I guess, what would be some of those moments for you as a mom? Sure. One of them was when he said, mommy, that was huge for me. He hadn't said that before. Who's starting to use language in a way was advocating for himself. I need help. It was when that happened, I was like, whoa, where he lives, like what's his address? And he told me where we live, his address, but my phone number, my husband's phone number. He knew the whole thing. And I thought, I mean, he's really good at memorizing, but he understood that. I'm just grateful for some of the survival things. For me, the day that he got lost. The day that they dropped him at the wrong school this year, the mom that went up to him and asked him his name, he wouldn't say anything. But later when he was with the principal and they'd been sort of walking around and sort of getting some rapport, he had deduced who he was based on talking to the company that had dropped him off that they thought was him. And he asked him, are you Jackson? And he said, yes. And then he said, what's your name? And he said, Jackson Walter. So he said his full name and I thought that was huge for him. Here he's with you know, somebody he doesn't know. He's never met this guy before. It took him time, but he was able to finally process that down. The mom that went up to him and asked him how old he was, he was able to say sick. You know, so there are certain things that he never would have been able to do without the help of learning all situations, generalizing them here, there, and the other. So that speech therapy they worked on, so that he could eat food and not choke, you know, because he would stuff his face and she would work with him piece by piece. Just, all right, we're going to try this new food and then you can have this food and we're going to try to eat carrots and we're going to try to eat this. And so he got to a point where I can trust him with food and I can leave the room. That's all from therapy. I did none of that. All I did was facilitate anything that they told me. First this, then that. Those were huge things for me of how to learn how to help him the best way that I could. The day that we found poop on crazy, but this was a kid that never went to the bathroom on a toilet. That happened in the last year. That was huge. And that was all from the what they did and then us just reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing. I mean, there's a lot. There's so many things that he's accomplished. Yeah, no, and you definitely want him happy, but you also want him safe as well. And I think that was such a great example and story that you shared with us and really uh, goes to speak that, you know, these skills that he's learning in ABA for safety, that he's able to actually generalize these skills out into real life occurrences. So that was really amazing to hear as well that Jackson was able to do that. So there's a lot of research out there and your clinician and BCBA recommend a certain amount of hours for ABA services. Do you follow this clinical recommendation? So um, for at first, no, because I was paying out of pocket. So I had to go down hour. When we talked with the clinic, we figured out what would be the best worst. And so if they wanted us at 30 and I couldn't afford 30, they were like, well, the least max, <laughs> whatever you would want to call that, having him there at least at 10 hours. So we were able to work that out. So I was able to do that. And then after that, when we were able to increase, 
Nobody ever really said to us he should have X amount of hours. I was of the impression that more therapy to work on all of those skills, the better, because he's young, his brain is still Mm -hmm. plastic. We can do everything we can. Let's get it in him as fast and as hard, like as much as possible, as long as we're not overwhelming him and as long as he is happy. And we pushed him and pushed him and he was happy. Max him out, you know, Mm -hmm. out of pocket max by February with our hours. It's crazy. And it's a very intense first part of the year, but we wanted to get all of the hours in that we could get in him. And this coming year will be a little different because he's in school full time and we have to navigate those other of our hours that are not in the clinic. So we have to go to a different clinic for that. So that's truncated some of our hours. But if I could, more therapy, if they were opens and there were enough therapists, I would have him there Saturdays and Sundays as well because I would want to get more hours in. There's lots of things, you know, with your schedule, his schedule. Like you said, the insurance thing is a huge factor, um, you know, cost-wise. And do you feel that there's any other barriers? I mean, honestly, it's just people having the time and the schedule and it working out in the schedule. Because for me, his therapies are such an enormous priority. It's in our whole family that there's very little that kind of comes in the way of that we figure out it's not easy. And it definitely sometimes requires outside help, which is more money out of pocket. It's worth it to me because I've seen such huge benefits. Mm -hmm. I also see that as he's getting a little older, he's starting to get a little more set in his ways. And the less therapy that we do, the less we can kind of flexible. I would love more therapy for him so that he stays as flexible as possible. He's also a kid that doesn't like to be bored. And so if he's just stuck at home, if like his little brother's taking a nap, it's a nightmare because he's unhappy because he wants to be doing something. His mind is always going, going, going. And so he wants to either be out and be happy if we just took him to a grocery store, but he just doesn't want to be sitting at home doing nothing. And that's sometimes difficult. So people think that we're a little nuts because he really goes from, you know, the minute he wakes up until the minute he goes to bed, he's in some kind of a program. He's in school or he's in therapy. But it's really what makes him happy because he's not stuck at home being bored or stuck doing something that doesn't do anything for him. Even going to a park would be great, but sometimes that's not feasible. It's like really good that you have that mindset because I experience with a lot of parents that are actually really worried about having their kids schedule too full and worrying that it's too much. Your mindset is the more that's on his schedule, the happier. For him, it's so much better. Yeah. Right. So that kind of wraps up everything about, you know, schools and programs and other therapies. If you had to give the parents out there a best piece of advice, what would it be? I mean, we hear it all the time that, you know, you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism, you know, every kid is so different. I'll say two things about this. I saw a cartoon that I thought was actually brilliant. It was written by somebody who is the mother of a child on the spectrum. And I believe she's the one that did it. And when the spectrum was brought up to me, I always thought about it as sort of linear thing. There's the low end and then there's the high end. And, mm-hmm. you know, we always thought Asperger's was at the high end. And then like all these other people who can't speak or whatever on the low end, that's really nice. And when I wrapped my mind around the way that she described it and showed it in a visual, she puts it in a circle, almost like a pie and says, you know, sometimes you have higher functioning parts over here and lower functioning parts over there, but it's all different and everybody's pie looks different. So, but the idea that your kid and where the gaps are, are going to be different than somebody else's kids. If I take him into a 
bathroom in public, he will freak out because he can't stand the echo and he doesn't want to see air dryers. If he sees them, he'll freak out. That's an avoidance manifestation. And that's, he's not usually an avoider. So it's the same idea. It's like everybody has different colors to them and different things that where they have a gap and where they don't. My biggest advice is to take your kid into consideration in anything that you do. We know generally what works for kids on the spectrum. We know generally ways that will help them, but not every kid is going to dive in and what's going to work with one may not work with another. So just keep your kid in mind, even when you're looking for advice and really truly your kid is 100% unique. So that being said, as far as programs and whatever, if you find what works and you trust, dive in as fast and as hard as you can, as early as you can. I mean, always going back to considering your own child. It's just what is right for your child. So sometimes you have to do a lot of trial and error. And the best thing that I heard the day before my kid got diagnosed, somebody said to me this piece of advice that I always share. You will have to learn how to teach your child how to play. You don't think about it with like neurotypical kids. They innately learn how to play. Kids on the spectrum often struggle with that. So you might have to teach your kid how to play. And that's its own challenge. But if you can embrace it's a beautiful thing because the highs are super duper freaking high. Seeing an accomplishment is one of the best thing in my life. Seeing my kid poop on the toilet, I don't think I've ever been having anything in my entire life. I jumped up and down. I mean, I seriously thought that I was going to like go to, it was like somebody had handed me a trip to Disney. The other thing that she said, which I thought was brilliantly true, and I didn't believe her, but it's so true, is that if you have savings that you have for that child, we're probably going to have to use it now. And that is okay. And don't be upset about it. Don't feel bad about it. The world does not provide enough for our kids. You will probably have to use any of that savings that you have for that child. Anything that you have put away for like a 529 school or whatever, you may have to use it now. And don't be afraid to use it and know that it's all going to be okay because you want to do the work now. Today, do it today. Don't wait. Those would be my best pieces of no, advice. No, yeah, I think that's really great. I, I really appreciate and acknowledge you for answering all these questions for us. I think this will be really helpful for other parents to hear out there and just get some other perspective of other parents in their shoes. So thank you. Well, we should wrap it up. It takes so much for someone to, you know, share and open up with what you've dealt with in life. And we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting and I love that you're doing it. It's so important for parents. I think it's so important for people. As I found on my podcast, people who don't have kids on the spectrum actually listen to my podcast more as a wailing. And I thought that's so awesome that people with neurotypical children are so curious and want to help. I think this is such a helpful podcast for everyone, obviously specifically for parents with kids on the spectrum, right. but just people who are listening, you know, who don't, and this would be super helpful for them too. So I think it's so great that you're doing it. Oh, thank you. Have a good night. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Talk soon. And we just want to thank you for listening today. We really encourage you to fill out our questionnaire forms and feedback on our website that are up now. Our podcasts and resources are designed from real parent feedback with what they are actually dealing with in life. It will make a big difference for this community when you tell us what support you need. Subscribe and look out for updates at awesomeautismparents.com. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. Keep up the awesomeness.